I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. And then I called on the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple-hearted. When I was in great need, he saved me. Be at rest once more, O oh my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, O oh Lord, have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. May God add his blessing to the reading of the word. Amen. That is an incredible scripture. I love how it begins. I love the Lord for he heard my voice. And then it ends that he's delivered us from death and tears and stumbling so we can walk before him in the land of the living. That's what I'm going to talk about today is walking with Jesus. Just simply talking about walking with Jesus, starting a four-week series on this topic uh, before I begin, though, I just want to say it is great to have the Eston College students with us. We're really excited that you're here with us. Uh, we also have lots of Briarcrest students who attend here as well. We're, we're thankful for you. And uh, we just, we're just thankful for people that are, are taking this time in their lives to really uh, press into the purposes of God. And uh, so I, I'm just excited for Bible College students and the things that they're doing. Um, last year, my uh, son... Uh, I was just thinking about my son's experiences at Bible college last year. That was, you know, it was the the start of, uh, you know, great uncertainty for for college students. And um, last year, at least, I'm not sure how it works this year, but last year at Bible college, they had to wear masks in the classrooms and in the common areas. And the joke that was sort of I was hearing was that if you wanted to sort of see uh, what the guys or the girls looked like, you had to go for a walk outside the campus. (laughs) So walking together became a necessity if you wanted to get to know each other relationally. And my son told me that he went for so many walks last year (laughs) that by the time the year was over, he was sick of walking. Anyhow, he's definitely a chip off the old block, just like his mother. (laughs) I'm glad you laughed, because I'm going to pay for that later. (laughs) Maybe, maybe. We have a word for what we call the experience of really knowing and being known by another person. And that word is intimacy. And my favorite definition of the word intimacy is the one where they just play with the word. Intimacy means into me you see. Intimacy means into me, you see. You really know me, and I really know you. And we frequently use spatial language when we're talking about uh, our experience of intimacy. An intimate friend is someone we feel very close to, or that we know at a, a deep level. And then when 
they're not such an intimate friend, we'd say, well, they're sort of more distant from us, or we know them more on a, a superficial or a shallow level. But do you, have you ever had a relationship that feels like Grover from Sesame Street is actually narrating the relationship? You know what I mean? It's like, near, far, near, near, it's good, it's great, you really, it's really great, but then something happens, and suddenly, far. And so you apologize, and they apologize, and you make up, and near. And then you do it again. Far. I mean, Grover really understood human relationships. <laughs> even, though, even though we use this spatial language to describe relationships, we're, we're really we're talking about, well, intimacy is really relational. We all know what it's like to be sitting close to somebody that we don't feel close to. Like you can be sitting right up next to somebody, but you don't have intimacy. In fact, you can feel super distant from them. At the same time, you can be 4,000 miles away from somebody else and feel a closeness to them. I remember when uh, my wife and I were dating, a lot of it was long distance. We were about five hours drive from each other. And I felt a closeness to her that didn't match the miles between us. And so this is, it's not just the proximity. What makes us feel intimate with another person? There's lots of ingredients to intimacy, and probably every relationship's got its own special recipe of why you feel close to them. But one that is, is like the common denominator in all of our relationships is trust. It's really hard to have intimacy or feel close to somebody if you don't trust them. Trust is one of the most uh, important things. It's the most common denominators in all intimacy. It's the heart of intimacy. The more we trust someone, the closer them we let them get and the closer we get to them. And when trust is eroded, distance comes into the relationship. And this is true in human relationships, but it's also true in our relationship with God. Our experience of God's nearness or God's distance is not a description of his actual proximity to us. I mean, God is everywhere, right? So there's no, there's no like getting farther away from God or coming closer to God in actual inches or miles. He's as near as your thoughts. In fact, he's nearer than your thoughts. He is so near to us, distance-wise, but we feel sometimes so distant from God. And then other times we might feel very near to God. But it's all about our experience of intimacy with him. The more we trust God, the more intimately we come to know him. So when we feel distant from God, it's often due to a disruption in trust, such as sin or disappointment. And I just want to talk about these two things really quickly here. It's all under this banner of walking with God. Walking with God. When I look at 
the Bible's descriptions of walking with God. One of the very first ones is this beautiful picture of God comes into the Garden of Eden in the cool of the day. And it's implied that he walks with Adam and Eve, that he has his intimate relationship with them. Of course, that's broken by sin, but we see throughout the Bible, we see it again and again, this walking with God. Enoch was one who walked with God. He's one of the very first people mentioned in that genealogy after Adam and Eve. Noah is one that's described as walking with God. And then you have all sorts of different relational things throughout. David had a heart after God. You see, the kings of Israel, or not of Israel, but in Judah, many of them were wicked, but, but many of them had a heart uh, to follow God. And then in the New Testament, you have people who literally are walking with Jesus. You have 12 disciples that he calls to himself, and they walk, and they spend three years learning from him and spending time with him and eating and traveling and walking with Jesus. And there's another group that's a sort of, I think, around them, the 72 that he sends out. And so there's another whole bunch of other relationships that Jesus had. And then after Jesus dies and is risen again, 500 witnesses see him alive. So they have some sort of experience with walking with God. And there's a great story in the, in the New Testament of two guys who are walking, and Jesus just sort of comes into the, talking and walking with them, and they don't even know it's Jesus until the very end when he breaks bread with him, and then it's like, boom, they realize, oh, it's Jesus, and then he disappears. It's an amazing story. People walking with God. You know, one of the most popular uh, poems that gets printed again and again is the, is the poem Footprints. How many of you have ever seen or ever heard of the poem Footprints, right? How many you have one on your walls somewhere? How many have grandparents who have one on their walls? There was a certain season where it sold like hotcakes, I think. Right? Kanye West wrote a great song, Jesus Walks. I don't know what the wholeness of the entire great song, but this was before Kanye West was trying himself to walk with Jesus. And you know what? When history wraps up, there's another garden just like the one at the beginning. And it says in the book of Revelation, the last two chapters, it says that God will dwell with his people then. They'll be his people. He'll dwell with them. You know what? God walked with people at the beginning. God walked with people throughout all of history. And God will walk with people at the end. So what... So it's really important to, for us to understand this. How do I walk with Jesus? How do I walk with God? So we said, the, the more we trust someone, the closer we let them get to us. And when trust is eroded, distance comes into the relationship. And this is true in our relationship with God. What disrupts trust? Well, the first thing is sin. And sin is just, I'll give it a simple definition. It's just our, going our own way instead of God's way. Now, it might look like active rebellion. Like just totally having, I don't want anything to do with God. Or you might even just use God's name as a curse word or whatever. You just don't. It might be total, It might look like active rebellion. It also might just look like passively ignoring God. Both of them come from a place of sin. Both of them come from going our own way and not God's way. Then why do we do that? Why do we choose sin instead of obeying God? It's because we don't trust him to satisfy. 
We don't trust him to satisfy. He promised an abundant life. You find that in John 10, 10. I've come to give him life and life to the full. He promised an abundant life, but our actions reveal often that we really aren't trusting in that promise. Why? Because we've gone to other things to find satisfaction. We try to find satisfaction on our own terms. And that sinful action reveals that lack of trust that's there. So sin is a disruption of trust in God and intimacy with God. In my life, I'll have these moments where I'll go, why did I think that was going to really satisfy? This is after. Why did I think that would really satisfy? Why did I think that was going to be so great? And why did I somehow discount in my thinking how much God could satisfy? Those are moments for me to repent and go, whoa, God, I can't believe I wanted this with such obsessiveness. And yet you were there the whole time to bring satisfaction into my life. So sin is a disruption of trust in God and, of course, a disruption of intimacy in God. But what about disappointment? When we expect God to do something and, and he doesn't. Now, we were just singing the song, I Hear the Dry Bones Rattling, which is a reference to you know, a prophecy of God takes you know, a prophet and shows him this valley of dry bones and can these live? And oh my, only you know God. But then he shows them how they, they can live. God can bring anything to life. God can do incredible miracles. God is the God of miracles. I've seen several instances in my life of people being set free from addictions, of people forgiving awful injustices, of people being lifted out of dark depression and being physically healed. So I believe that God is a God of miracles. So I pray for, to see God move. I've seen enough dry bones actually rattling and coming to life to see people come alive to know that Jesus does deliver, he does heal, and he does save. But I've also seen people who are praying or that we prayed for that, that are still stuck in difficult circumstances. And it doesn't always make sense. Like, I think a lot of people try to put, you know, a lot of effort into why does this person have this outcome and this person doesn't? Like, for example, one that puzzles me. Why did my father-in-law, when he became a Christian, instantly lose his appetite for alcohol, which was a problem for him? But suddenly it was gone. And yet other Christians I know, they have given their lives to Christ, but they had to go to Alcoholics Anonymous and they have to be careful the rest of their lives. Why? I, I can't tell you why. I don't know the answer for that. Here's a really puzzling one in the New Testament. You've got the Apostle Paul, who's seen people healed, seen people delivered. Like, he was the main character in, in seeing those things happen. And yet he prays repeatedly to God about this area of his life, and it's a big mystery to scholars to this very day. Uh, it was called a thorn in his flesh. He prayed for this thing, whatever it was, we don't know whether it was physical or something else, to go away. And he prays and he prays and he prays, and basically God says no. And so what he discovers is that he now is going to rely the rest of his life on the grace of God every day to deal with this thing that he's asked God just to remove. It's quite a story, but it's encouraging for me too. So if you're in the, if you're 
in a situation where you look over and you say, well, that guy, he got like this instant miracle. And then I'm sort of walking out this dependence and grace walk every day. There's no rhyme or reason for it for, for me, other than I know this, that God is sovereign. Right? God is sovereign. He can answer our prayer requests any which way he wants, really. He is a healer. He is a deliverer. He is a great savior. Pray. It pleases God when we ask in faith. And so when you pray, don't just sort of go, oh, well, whatever you want to do, God, I guess there's no, really not much point in me praying because, you know, you're just going to do whatever you want to do. Don't come like that. He loves when we come in faith. He loves when we recognize who he is, the power that he has, and the way that he, he can move in a life. And so I would say the, the walking with Jesus in this area is that we grow in asking more and more and more things from God. Things, so he says he can do, the Bible says he can do more than we can ask or imagine. So if he can do all of this and more, and our requests are down here, well, grow, walking with Jesus would probably mean that our requests start closing that gap, which will never close from what we think God can do to what he can actually do. So pray with great faith, but pray in great submission. Like the Apostle Paul, when he prayed and prayed and prayed, and then finally was like, this ain't going away? He submitted to that. He submitted to that. And this is what I think often gets people out of trusting God, they have a bad experience in life. And they pray and they say, God, you know, change the circumstances. And God doesn't change the circumstances. And they're like, well, what's the point then? Why am I following God then? I'm not making this up. I've heard these, exactly what people are saying this. And I think it's maybe, you know, on pa- incumbent on pastors like us to sort of make clear that Different saints throughout the history of walking with Jesus have had different results. And I don't think we can game the system necessarily to make sure we get those results and not those results. Hebrews chapter 11 describes heroes of faith. It says, some of them received their loved ones back from the dead. Raised to life. A resurrection. Credible. So it's like, yes, pray for that. It also says in the same passage that some of these heroes of faith were sawed in half. Like killed in a horrible way. But they're not excluded from being heroes of faith. Both of them are included in that same list. So if you have so some people get healed and you're like, wow, that's awesome, God, that's amazing. And then some people don't, and you go, Okay, I'm gonna receive that from you because you're sovereign. You're still Lord. Let me give you the example of Job. Job lost, in the first chapter of the book of Job in the Old Testament, Job loses, he's a rich man, and he loses all his riches. So it says that he got up, you know, he's, he's, he's lost his wealth. He got up and he tore his robe. Oh, he, let, let me back up. He's wa- lost his health, and even more importantly, his children have all died. Okay, that just got a lot more serious for us. So it says, At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will depart. 
The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. You get to the second chapter, it gets worse because he loses his, his health. He's lost his wealth. He's lost his children. And then he loses his own health. So his body is covered with boils. He's got a pottery shard he's using to scrape them to somehow get some relief. And then it gets even worse. His wife comes along and says to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. And he replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And it says again, in all this, Job did not sin in what he said. In fact, later in the chapter, he says another crazy, wild statement. He says, though he slay me, though God would kill me, yet I will trust him. So again, when you pray, I encourage you to embrace the fact that he's powerful. So to ask with great faith. But also embrace the fact that he is sovereign. And asked with great submission. If we got Jesus and nothing more. If, God, if the God who so loved the world gave us just Jesus to go to the cross. To take our sin and, and shame away on the cross. So that we could have access to God and dwell with him forever. That would be enough. So I just want to, if you, if you feel like, well, what's the point? I prayed and my circumstance didn't change. Let me, I want to bring a troubling reality to your focus here, and it's a troubling reality I face in my own life. If you say, well, I prayed and it didn't change, well, what's the point? We haven't done a good enough job of telling you about Jesus and the cross. We haven't made that clear enough. If you get Jesus, you've been made eternally rich and you could never be made poor. In fact, getting Jesus, getting his, his forgiveness for our lives, getting his leadership in our lives is so huge that in the New Testament they say things like, you know, if God didn't spare his own son, well then it just it's rationally goes to the next rational thing to think is that he is so generous, how will he not also give us all things? It's a comparison. If God gave us this thing that is so much greater than all things, we can trust him with the other things that we need in life. Because getting Jesus is the, is the big thing. So here's the troubling reality. If you find yourself being really... I'm not talking about being disappointed. We get disappointed. When you have circumstances that won't change, you want someone you see healed, you want something to change. It is disappointing when you pray and pray and pray. But here's the thing. Like Job, never turn and curse God. Never turn and say, well, what's the point? Because it may be that God is showing you or he's giving you an opportunity to see how valuable he really is. I remember when I was dating Marnie and I really wanted her to be the one. And I asked her out on a beautiful, snowy day in the town of Nippon. Beautiful day. I'd actually even thought of getting a whole bunch of friends together for a party afterwards. But I'm really glad I didn't because she said no. 
And then she left and went back to where she was from, and I had a reckoning with God. Do I need this girl or do I need God? Who do I need more? It was a great wake-up call. Very gracious wake-up call from God. And I came back to the realization very clearly, wrote it in my journal, I don't need this girl. I like her a lot. Love to have her in my life. But I do need you, God. I do need you. See, sometimes we can, we can, in our relationship with God, we're not really walking with him as we should because we're, we're, we're hoping that God will, will give us other things. And if he doesn't give us those other things, then we say, what's the point with having God? And what that is, is idolatry. It's idolatry. You're saying God is a helpful means to get this other thing. So what's being glorified in that, this other thing? We're saying this other thing's way better than God. Wealth. Health. Many children. That was Job's list. Well, if God didn't keep my kids safe, what's the point of serving him? Well, if God didn't provide the money I need, what's the point of serving him? Well, if God didn't restore my health, what's the good of serving him? And Job would tell you, that's foolish talk. That's foolish talk. Naked, we came into this world. Naked, we'll return. Should we not take, if God gives and takes away, he's sovereign. And so, believe for great things. Pray for great things. I think we're in a season where I think we're going to see more and more things because we're discovering more and more in the Word of who God is and what He can do. But we want to live with those two tensions very real in our lives. Ask with great faith. Don't shrink your prayers. Don't ask, don't sort of make it, I'm going to make it easy for God. I'm going to ask for stuff that's highly likely to happen. So, He looks good. Pray for great things. Pray with great faith. But pray in great submission. Because he's still Lord. He's not just a means to the end. He's the end. He's the goal. What do you get through the gospel? You get God. You get Jesus. And then when you realize you've gotten the thing of greatest value, when he's your greatest treasure then you relax about something. Not that you don't stop praying. Not that you don't start being passionate and fervent. But you realize, I can trust him with these other areas too. In fact, it should lead you to pray with even greater faith that once you've got Christ, you've been given the greatest thing that you could ever have. And now you can have, now you press into God's goodness, his generosity, who he's proven himself to be. Because you've come to trust him. And that's where intimacy comes into the game. See, in in Jesus' day, I think there was maybe, Jesus corrected a misconception amongst the religious leaders. And the misconception would have been that intimacy is all about knowledge. 
Intimacy is all about knowledge. Um, and, and knowledge is helpful in intimacy. I mean, the more you get to know each other. I remember when I was getting to know my wife, when, well, when we were dating, I found out lots of things that I liked about her. Unlike me, she grew up on a farm. I liked that. Also, she didn't like going into debt. I liked that. I found out she'd rather raise little humans than puppies. I like that. She loved the grace of God. I like that. And strangest of all, we both loved the smell of skunk. I was so impressed by that. I wrote a song. And it played, I recorded it, and then we watched on video, and it played on our, at our wedding reception. And the song basically talked about all these things we had in common, and I was sort of having fun with it, that these were signs that we were supposed to be together, right? So the song basically said, Marnie, it's a sign, it's a sign, it's a sign. You and me, I can't wait for that day when you're mine. You know, anyway, that's how the song went. I'm sure if the Beatles, you know, hadn't broke up, but they would have bought it off me, and it would have been famous. But It's great to know things about the other person. It's great to know things, and that does help intimacy. But you know what? It's not synonymous with trust. I mean, never before in the history of the Christian church has there been so much theological knowledge available to so many people. I mean, on the Internet... You can get Bible translations galore. You can get sermons galore. You can get Christian books galore. You can get, man, you can get anything. It's amazing. But you know what? All that knowledge hasn't necessarily translated into an intimate walk with God. Because it's not enough to just have knowledge. The religious leaders were confronted by Jesus. They had an astounding knowledge of the contents of the Old Testament, which is the first 39 parts or books, they'd say, of the Bible. Out of 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, it's the vast majority of the Bible, and they knew it really well. And this is what Jesus said to them. He said, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they, the Scriptures, that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So they knew a lot about this. They knew a lot about the scriptures that pointed to Jesus. But they refused to come to him that they might have life because they didn't trust Jesus. When biblical knowledge replaces our trust in God, it won't lead to a close walk with God. It might only fuel our pride. So if you ask me, how much knowledge do you have about your wife? I'd say, I'm the expert. 22 years of marriage. I know Marnie better than anyone. Then if you ask me, do you trust her? I'd say, can I tell you a secret? When she goes out shopping, I open up my laptop and I watch what's happening (laughs) on the online banking. And my palms sweat. (laughs) I'm kidding. I trust her. Mostly. (laughs) It's not how much you know. 
You can know every bit of trivia about God. Every fact about God. But do you trust him? This is why we're doing the Discovery Bible Study Method. It's one of the many reasons we're doing that in our small groups this year, in our life groups. Because if you really want a close walk with God, it's not just that you find out what the scripture says. That's a a very big key, right? What does it say about God, this passage? What does it say about us? Really big key. But then it goes on to say, and what are you going to do with what you just learned? In other words, are you going to take the knowledge that you know about God and are you going to trust him with what you just found out? If it says he'll deliver, if it says he'll save, it says he'll heal, are you going to, what's the application? Who do you need to tell that to? What do you need to do about it? What actions, need, what actions correspond to what you know about God? So that's what application is. That's what obedience is. It's trusting God. So many of the commands in the Bible, that's the easy ones when you're reading the Bible and it's just got a straight-up command you know that applies to you. When you obey that, you're demonstrating you trust the one, you're trusting him. That's what it is. And that's where the intimacy comes in. She said, I read the Bible, but there's just no, it just seems dry to me, and it just, I don't really get a lot out of me. Well, okay, read the Bible, but then obey. And it'll get adventurous and exciting. It won't be dry anymore. Why? Because you're actually walking with God. That's where the, that's where the adventure comes in. Don't, if, it's just, if it's just a book... If it's just words on a page, no. It's meant to be living and active in your life. It's challenging, challenging your small view of God and broadening it into seeing him as he really is. And then because of that, knowing the relationship he wants to have with you. He wants everybody to be a child of God. A partner in his mission in the world. Living in faith. In trusting him and seeing his kingdom come and his will be done. So intimacy is more than just knowledge, but it's also more than just experiences. Another common mistake we might make is we try to build an environment for God to come near. Not that that's all wrong, but depending on that solely can be. So I think of all the different ways people build an environment for God to come near. I think of older style churches with the high vaulted ceilings, and, uh, which are beautiful. I really appreciate them. I love them. And they, they, they draw, the, the idea is to give you an idea of God's transcendence, how great and mysterious and wonderful and awesome he is. I quite like them a lot. Here's another one. A contemporary service like we had this morning, right? It's just praise and worship, and, 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 and it really focuses on, on, on not the, imi- the transcendence of God, but the imminence of God being close to us. I really like that. Or maybe it's like you hear that God's working here or there. There's a revival or there's some sort of thing that God, you know, power, God's healing over here, and you want to chase that all, wherever it goes because you want to be close to that. You know what? Those are all good. They're all good. But if you don't trust him, those are all not going to really produce the desired results. 
It's like if I invite my wife, let's, you know, let's have a supper, candlelit dinner, romantic music. You know what? If she trusts me, that'll work. If she doesn't trust me because of something I just did, guys, do you know this? It's like, here, flowers. Is it fixed? No. No. The flowers are going in the wood chipper. Because the trust is eroded. So now if you have mutual trust and love together, then my goodness, there's some women out there are going, are you, no, 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 don't tell them not to do the, the, you know, the romantic things. No, do the romantic things. But I'm just telling you, it's not a replacement for restoring trust. So if, you're in a, if we create an environment for God to come near, for us to have an experience with God, that's all good if we trust God. But if we don't trust God, it won't encourage intimacy with God. You'll find yourself in an environment that should make you worship, that should make you weep, that should make you rejoice and shout and, and be so excited about who God is, and you'll be flat and numb. Because trust is important. So how do we do this? The see, um, think of the verse that just says, draw near unto God and he will draw near unto you. The secret to drawing near unto God is revealed in, just in the scriptures in the Bible. So we draw near to God through faith in Christ who alone gives us access. And we put our trust in all of his precious and very great promises which find their yes through Christ. I was thinking about Deuteronomy 6. I have that. Deuteronomy 6, we have it um, in one of our washrooms at home, just pasted up there, and I keep coming back to it and just reading it again and again. And it's just talking about, in the Old Testament, how they were to love God with all their hearts and then also really pay attention to what he had commanded them to do and then to talk about it all the time. Talk about their relationship with God. Talk about the things God's commanded them to do. Talk about it when you get up, when you walk, wherever you go, and impress it on your kids. Impress it on your children. Really impress upon them this walk with God, this relationship with God, this, uh, you know, this great thing. And it's interesting because the commands in the Bible are often commands with promise, right? If you'll follow God, if you don't forget God, Deuteronomy 6, you know, if you'll do those things, you'll live a long life in the land that I gave you. It's like, wow, that's an incredible thing. God's going to give us a long life in the land that he gave us. Incredible promise. If you trust him and you trust what he says, the outcome will be you'll obey. That's the, the sign that you're doing that, right? So what pleases God more than our knowledge about him or our trying to develop an experience that we can have together for him is just our faith in him. Hebrews eleven six says, Without faith it's impossible to please him. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So when God sees someone whose heart fully trusts his promises and lives by them, he comes in to strongly support that person. And he reveals himself to them as well. Let me read you John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments, 
and their commandments with promise. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. That means I'll reveal myself more and more to who he is. Our obedience demonstrates our trust, and God reveals himself to us through that. So here's the bottom line. God wants intimacy with you. God wants intimacy with you. Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone on the other side of that door will come and open that door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. He wants intimacy with you. He wants you to walk with him. Walking with God is basically just doing all the things of life with God, not compartmentalizing Jesus into sort of like a Sunday or a separate thing. Or, but that you'd bring him into every area of your life, like in Deuteronomy 6, talk about God all day. Or like in the New Testament, they said pray without ceasing, basically having an ongoing conversation with God. It just never ends. That you can just always pick up. That you're always sort of breathing little things to God. Not just that you're always just doing all of life with God. That's what walking with God is. And he's inviting you into it. He wants intimacy with you. And all he requires is that you believe in him. He wants you to trust him with all your heart. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. But in all your ways... In all of life, in everything, in all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will keep your paths straight. It's an incredible promise. It's an incredible invitation for us to do these things. Now, let me just read you. This is John Piper. He wrote this. I'm I'm drawing to a close here really quickly. Just talking about that relationship with God that we're destined for, that we're made for. He says, when you take your stand on the finished work of God in Christ, he gets a little bit theological, but that's okay. When you take your stand on the finished work of God in Christ and begin to drink at the river of life and eat the bread of heaven and know that you found the end of all your longings, you only get hungrier for God. The more satisfaction you experience from God while still in this world, the greater your desire for the next. For as C.S. Lewis said, our best havings are wantings. The more deeply you walk with Christ, the hungrier you get for Christ. The more homesick you get for heaven, the more you want all the fullness of God. The more you want to be done with sin, the more you want the bridegroom to come again. The more you want the church revived and purified with the beauty of Jesus. The more you want a great awakening to God's reality in the cities. The more you want to see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ penetrate the darkness of all the unreached peoples of the world. The more you want to see false worldviews yield to the force of truth the more you want to see pain relieved and tears wiped away and death destroyed. The more you long for every wrong to be right and the justice and grace of God to fill the earth like the waters covered the sea. 
If you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it's not because you've drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because you've nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things, and there's no room for the great. God did not create you for this. There is an appetite for God, and it can be awakened. Would you stand with me? So I've told you before that sometimes there's a certain Pastor Dave Wicks is going to come in a second, so just let him know that. I told you before that it's often when I'm preparing to speak that I'm someone, will, a group or a situation or something will come to mind, and I, I'll just tell you what it is this week. I'm thinking about people who are facing something that is truly troubling and hard or difficult, and it's testing your faith. It's testing your faith. And um, in James it says, the testing of our faith produces perseverance. God, I think this test right now is what I want to say about it. This test right now that you're facing is God's invitation for intimacy. God wants to show you who he is in this troubled waters. He wants to show you who he is in this dark night. He wants to show you who he is when you can't see your way through. He wants to show you who he is. Because I think what God wants to do is he wants to grow our faith and grow our faith and grow our faith. When I look back on the years of, follow, of following him, I, at the early days, I, I kept stuff in a journal. And I go back and I read them today and I realize the things I was facing then were like tiny little molehills, but I saw them as mountains. And nothing changed about those situations to make me see them differently other than I discovered God was faithful through those situations. And so now, when I face something much bigger, I look back on it and go, oh, this is the pattern of God's work in my life. Can I trust him in this? This mountain? Yes. Can I trust him in this? Yes. Can I trust him in this? Yes. So his, your struggle right now, this, this dark night, this difficulty, these circumstances that are unrelenting, they're an invitation for intimacy with God to discover that you can trust him in this. Let's pray. Lord, do you see it? You see not only the situation, you see it very clearly, you see it more clearly than we see it, but you also see the outcome. You see the outcome that you want to do. Lord, I don't know, maybe you will move a mountain that, of circumstances 
in the miraculous and we'll just say, praise you. Maybe you want to move a mountain in our own hearts that's been unrelenting and, and we'll be giving you praise for that too. But you want us to live a life of faith, a full trust in you. And so, Lord, we say, maybe feebly, we trust you. We trust you. Like the man who didn't know if his son could be healed. And Jesus asked him, do you believe? We say, we believe. Help us in our unbelief. We believe in you. Help us in those areas where we doubt or we, we run after other things to satisfy or, or we, we, we haven't processed our disappointments well. We want to walk with you. We want nearness with you. We want intimacy. And it's so exciting that you want it with us. That you're initiating first. You're the one knocking on the door of our hearts. You're the one saying, will you open this? Will you open yourself up to me? To deeper relationship? To that daily walking together? And Lord, we just want to say yes. We want to say yes. We want that. There's little fears and there's little things that swirl around in our minds, but Lord, we just want that deeper walk with you, that walk of faith, that walk of trust, the walk that knows that you have these things. So help us with our unbelief and grow our faith in you. Grow our trust. Is that your name? Amen. Okay, well, we're going to worship, and then Pastor Dave's going to come and close us off.